to be bringing you yet another great uh, strategy and portfolio planning committees um, plugged in event. We've got a great event today. Obviously, the turnout would reflect that. And uh, there's a lot going on in the chapter. We've got a lot of movement going ahead. We have our volunteer event tonight. Some of us will be here in person. So overall, a very good time to be getting together. And this topic is as timely as anything we can speak about. Um, thank you to our chapter sponsors who we've seen on the scroll opening up. And we'll see that again at the end. Uh, without further ado, I will hand this off to Stephen Coulthart, who will go over some of the housekeeping rules and inter, in, uh, introduce our sponsors. So Stephen, take it away. Great. Thank you, Tommy. Um, welcome, everyone, to today's panel titled What to Build Now. I'm Stephen Coulthard. I'm part of the Senior Management Group at Cumming Corporation and Chair of Cornet New York Chapters Strategy and Portfolio Planning Committee, where we focus on issues real estate leaders need to know to talk to their businesses. Um, today's call will follow the usual format of a 30-minute panel conversation followed by 20-minute Q&A. To allow the Q&A to be interactive, we do not control your audio on visual. So during the panel discussion, um, we ask you to keep both turned off and please start doing that now and keep the questions coming through the chat. When we get to the Q&A, Kelsia, our moderator, will call out individuals to turn on their audio and video and ask the questions they raised in the chat during the panel. Today's topic, what to build now, was chosen as 12 months on from the lockdown. This question continues to be the greatest source of uncertainty for real estate leaders and businesses. We are joined today by America's and global leaders of our occupier and landlord community who will share insights and practical examples and projects that they have been undertaking in the last 12 months, projects they are planning in the next 12 to 24 months, and how landlords and occupiers can work together to bring New York back. Our panelists today are Alison Kwiatkowski, Deutsche Bank's America's business partner, who oversees all real estate service lines across the bank's 3 million square feet America's portfolio, and strategy lead for their America's HQ relocation to One Columbus Circle. Alison was previously a VP at JLL and has a background in workplace strategy and architecture. Philippe Visser, related president of office development, where he leads the company's expansive office efforts nationally, including their successful execution of 30 Hudson Yards at 2.6 million square feet, 1,296 foot tall office tower, Philippe previously served as the Port Authority's Director of the World Trade Center Redevelopment, following acquisition and development roles at Tishman Spire and Bernardo. Ray Quartarero, JP Morgan Chase's Global Head of Planning, Design and Construction, who oversees their $2 billion annual capital spend across office, retail, and mission critical. Ray previously was a Vice Chairman at JLL, and president of their regional project and development services group. He was also founder and president of Corderero and Associates, one of New York's first independent project and development management firms. And finally, to our moderator today, a fellow SPP committee member, Kelsia Azevedo, regional head of corporate real estate at Macquarie Group, 
who oversees all real estate service lines across their Americas portfolio. Keltia previously acted as regional head of property and head of global sourcing at Standard Chartered Bank. And with that, I will hand it over to Kelsia. Enjoy the panel. Thanks, Steve, and good afternoon, everyone. Great being here today. And I'm particularly thrilled for the opportunity to chat with this fantastic panel of real estate legends. And thanks again, Alice and Ray and Philip for joining us. And uh, by the way, I heard that they really like hard questions. So make sure to fire a few throughout the discussion. Uh, so today we're going to talk about what to build now. Uh, prior to COVID-19, offices were deemed critical to productivity, culture, and winning the war for talent. Adoption of a flexible working environment and solutions to promote collaboration, as well as uh, densification, open office designs, and co-working were in the forefront of many organizations as they developed their workplace strategies and designs. And then came COVID-19, and we were suddenly forced to have majority of our employee population working from home. As a result, it's common belief that working from home is here to stay, that going forward, we will have a much larger portion of our workforce adopting some form of flexible working, as many organizations believe they can access new pools of talent with fewer location constraints, adopt creative processes to boost productivity, and reduce real estate costs. And it goes without saying that uh, for the past year, we have all been dealing with the challenges such as reopening of our offices. We, real estate leaders, have been pushed to reevaluate how employees can safely return to work. There has been lots of discussions around redesigns of space to ensure physical distancing, while still providing a collaborative environment and a good experience in and around the office. There has, there has also been more focus around making people feel healthy and safe. So the requirements around environments are no longer restricted to energy efficient buildings and infrastructure, but enhanced cleaning protocols, upgraded HVAC, touchless entries, et cetera. And, uh, and last but not least, it is strongly believed that technology will play a central role in not only enabling employees a good experience, experience worldwide return to the office, but also promoting an equitable experience between the office and the home workforce. And, uh, and offices will need to find a way to bring company's purpose and culture to life. So leaders have been challenged to use the lessons from this large-scale work-from-home experiment to reimagine how work is done, what role offices and buildings should play, and what to build next. So my very first question, first question to our panelists, and uh, let me start with you, Alison. One year into the COVID-19 crisis, what have you changed in your existing space as well as your in-flight projects to best support your business? Okay, um, so I will speak to mainly our headquarters projects. So we're moving our America's headquarters to um, one Columbus Circle. And um, it was very well publicized already in the news that our CEO took a, a somewhat radical approach um, early in COVID from many of our peers where um, she said that unless your, you know, your role requires you to be in the office, make, make your own choice. So um, that, that definitely alleviated the demand on the uh, physical space for the existing areas, you know, other than cleaning, operational changes, that sort of thing. As far as our in-flight project, so looking at our headquarters, um, which we're planning for the move September of this year, from a design and construction perspective, we're confident that there will be a day when there's a vaccine that's well distributed and people want to come back. 
and we are planning for that day. Um, so, of course, you know, we know people will work in a different way. Cats out of the bag, people can be productive working in a remote way. Um, but from that perspective, we're actually in a very good place to weather the impacts of COVID. Um, our global designs fundamentally are rooted in, you know, flexibility, opportunity of choice, collaboration, um, and that's where the demand is coming. It's, it really has just fast forwarded the conversation. So the same things that we've been saying for the past 10 years, where I would say to a banker, like, we want to give your team the opportunity of choice. And they would look at me like I had 10 heads. You know, now we're at a point where that's what they are asking us for. So, so we are, you know, we're well aligned. That said, the one major pivot um, we did have, ironically, has minimal to do with the working environment at all, but how do we support people when they're not in the office? And that was with technology. So we, you know, we're moving our whole technology strategy away from a purely thin client to a, you know, thin client laptop enabled. But from a space perspective, we are we're full steam ahead. What about you, Ray? Can you give us some insight of any changes that you had to make in the past 12 months, either uh, you know, in terms of your workplace design or projects that you have in flight? Thanks, Kelsey, sure. So the, the challenge for us when this all happened a year ago was that we had about 50,000 seats in flight around the world at that time. So from Plano, Texas to Milan and Paris and India and Manila and Palo Alto and Glasgow, and they were at various stages of design and construction. So we kind of broke everything down. We took a very hard look first at our existing portfolio. And I think like many of you, the focus was very much about how we were gonna make people feel comfortable when they got back. It was all about health and wellness and making them feel like people would re-enter a safe working environment. At that time, all of us believed we were gonna be back much sooner than we actually are. So by June 1st, we had every office across the portfolio, 75 or 80 million square feet, 65 countries. We had every office across the portfolio. We had all our green and red dots, all of our signage, all of our queuing for lobbies and elevators and stuff like that. So that was, kind of the easy part of this. The harder question then was, what will people expect to come back to in the short term and the long term? We were a little different than a lot of others because our leadership from Jamie down were very clear from the start. We put a stake in the ground back in June and said, we are coming back to the office in a very aggressive way and we're coming back at the same density that we left at. So if you think about those projects we had in flight, many of them we had to make a decision very quickly for example, whether we would change density and floor plan. And we decided last June to not change anything about those projects fundamentally going forward. A lot has changed since then, which we're gonna talk about in a few minutes. Um, so we feel very comfortable with all of the steps we took. We did not make significant changes to existing workplace other than to provide for social distancing. We think that the global standards, global workplace standards that we have in place and those were already built in places like our New York metro area, our campus in Plano, a building we delivered two years ago or a year ago in Dublin. Those standards already were flexible. So they required very little change to accommodate anything that was going on as a result of COVID. The real challenge was around the legacy or the unrenovated spaces that so many of us have across the portfolio. Six by six stations, six by eight stations, um, less collaboration space, uh, lots of private offices, and there's a big focus on that for the future, which we'll also talk about in a few minutes. 
Thanks, Ray. Uh, Philip, can you give us some insight from uh, the landlord side around uh, mindful that occupancy has been on the low side for the past 12 months uh, and you had to do changes to adapt to the requirements of uh, managing the, the COVID crisis. But in terms of uh, you know, what you offer, uh, have you made any changes in the approach in terms of what, a, what the building should look like, amenities, things of that sort? Sure. Um, so I, I think the first thing besides the kind of initial reactions to COVID was really uh, communication, both with all of our tenants um, and, and with some of the top tenants um, in the country, including a lot of people on this phone. Ray and I talked a number of times with his team and some of the folks doing, um, you know, kind of best practice, our friends at Deutsche Bank, with Allison. And I, I, think, I think that was key. Um, constant communication and something we, we kind of pride ourselves on before to, to be open um, to that and to be hearing what, what the needs of tenants are. And it was more important than ever. So um, we put in a lot of COVID precautions. We evaluated a lot of new technologies. I'm sure everyone on this phone knows at this point as much as I do, if not more. Um, there, there was seem, seemingly a time there's like one new piece of technology a day that someone was selling. Um, and Ultimately, I think um, you know, we were fortunate that our, our premier commercial development, Hudson Yards, was sort of future-proofed in that it had all the bells and whistles with MERV filters. It had um, a lot of touchless aspects with biometric and elevators that people were going to be comfortable, spacious lobbies, so crowding was um, less of an issue. And um, so, uh, it, so the focus was really on kind of health and wellness. Um, I guess more health back then than wellness, which is what everyone talks about now. And we had a partnership with Mount Sinai, who has a health center at Hudson Yards, who we worked very closely with vetting all of our protocols, our communications. Um, and I think that was really important in terms of assuring tenants and their employees who are coming, starting to come back to the campus um, that you know, we, it wasn't just us as a real estate landlord or tenant um, evaluating team but medical professionals, right, who, had, who, were, who were plugged into the latest research. Um, and then I think kind of most Im importantly for us, it was about activation. And, um, you know, whoever has been around New York City in particular, there was definitely some challenging moments and there still are. And I think we, we wanted to celebrate as much as we can um, kind of coming together in a safe way. And we created a whole series called The Backyard at Hudson Yards where you had socially distanced movie uh, on the big screen, sports on the big screen. Um, uh, we have Soul Cycle and Equinox classes in the plaza where you can work out, um, kind of using all of our open space to do those kinds of things. And what's exciting, I'll talk about this a little bit more, is making those things almost perm a permanent fixture of all of our projects, um, given how successful it was to connect people um, to the outdoors. Uh, but I, I'd say most importantly, Ray started with this is, we're, we're back. Um, we came back June 22nd, the first day um, we were able to, and um, our, our leadership was very uh, committed to being back both for our, our business and for New York City. And, um, and, and if anything, as an example, like a lot of landlords did, it, it was about um, setting that example and showing that, that, that you can safely be back. And also most importantly, and I see this every day, with my team and, and others, the power of those collisions and collaborations and everything, which now has a mask on, and, and hopefully the mask will lose the mask, but all those things so important to kind of getting the energy we need to be successful in our respective businesses. 
thanks, Philippe. And, uh, and obviously, we took five minutes or so to reflect on what we have learned on the past 12 months. So now let's uh, focus on going forward, right? So I'll start with you, Ray. Uh, in face of what we learned in the past year, which has been quite a lot, uh, including the fourth company-wide experience of remote working, right? What are you thinking in regards to your future projects? What are you doing differently? <clears throat> So I, I think there's a couple of things that I can list and, and share, but you know I, I think part of what informed that for us was number one, it took us a long time in the context of the time frame that we're in with how long we've been out of the office to realize we're not really sure, right? And and I look around on this call, and so many of our great partners are on the call. All of us wanted to drive to a solution, right? We wanted to find and say Here, here's what the answer is in terms of workplace. I think we've only over the past couple of months, just come to realize that what return to work looks like may be different day one plus 12 months or day one plus 24 months. So flexibility is going to be key. This has gone on, as I said, much longer than we had originally thought. And we're not sure ultimately what the long-term impact of remote working is. It's here to stay to one degree or another. So even at a place like JP Morgan, where we are intent on bringing people back to the office, it, it's real. It's going to be part of our resiliency planning and part of our workplace strategy going forward. So most of our changes have been about flexibility. So number one, you made a decision across the global portfolio, no drywall outside the court, right? We're using all kinds of other FF&E products, demountable walls, drop-in uh, rooms, all kinds of things. And from multiple vendors and manufacturers, a denser electrical and data grid, essentially to provide the ability for us to plug and play everywhere on the floor. Higher density of Zoom rooms, much more mobile technology, smart boards, neat boards, things like that. Um, we're taking existing collaboration spaces and adding technology to them. And in some cases, I talked before about the challenges with our legacy spaces, our unrenovated spaces, we're going to add open and collaboration spaces. But the fundamental question is, what are people, why are people gonna come back to the office? And we spent a lot of time with Philippe and his team talking about that you know, the amenities that have become core to some of these great developments are really, really important and, and will continue to be important. But the feedback we're hearing from our people is we don't need to come to the office to go to the gym anymore. We'll just do that on a work from home day. They want to come to the office to be with their teams and be with one another and have group time. So we're thinking about how they're going to reserve space as a team. And, you know, does that team work together for a week? And if so, do they reconfigure the space for that week versus what the next team may do. So all of our desks are unattached from the spline and the benches can move around and be reconfigured. So it really, in a sense for us, is creating the space as a stage set. Universal ceiling, universal floor, everything in between that has to be flexible enough to accommodate what we think is gonna change over time. And you mentioned about uh, you know um, people wanting to be together and uh, and are you are you doing any investment or any changes in terms of technology to allow, for example, reservation systems or, or even tracing uh, where people are sitting? Yes, so we we do have a reservation system underway. It's exactly how it will be implemented is not exactly sure. We're not sure whether there's value or whether we need to track exactly where every person is in a desk. But it's clear that if you have neighborhoods, you need a way to manage that. So we're installing smart lockers in all of our space. We will have all of our spaces, and, and even now, all of our newly designed spaces are already designed to be unassigned. 
Um, so we're retrofitting a lot of our legacy spaces to accommodate unassigned seating with smart lockers, with VDI, um, so that any one of them can be implemented that way. And there will be a reservation system. Again, we're finalizing how we're going to use it. And technology use between home and the office will be completely transparent. Oh, you're good, Kelsey. Go ahead, yeah, Tara. sorry, sorry, guys. I'm yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I am having happen, some. I think we're good. Okay, <laughs> great. Sure All was, right, but... so <laughs> that is technology. Uh, Alison, what about uh, uh, in, in Deutsche Bank? What are you guys doing differently? Yeah, so what we're doing is very, very much aligned with JPMC. We're looking at how we can integrate flexibility. Um, you know, we're having this, the same, same conversations around technology tools and integrating touchless features and all of that. I think there are more than anything right at this point, there's a good amount of education of staff that we're doing. And it's around things like demonstrating how, how our HVAC systems do provide, you know, the, the right healthy health and safety requirements or socializing the etiquette that the office that can flip to a huddle room, you know, with, in our case, you know, you push the monitor against the wall with the monitor arm, you have the height adjustable desk, the things that Ray talked about, but helping people understand of how, how they can use the space in that way. Um, it's becoming less of a space change and more of a focus on change management and leadership training. You know, how do you, how do you help managers understand how to manage a team when half the team is home? The um, HR policies, ensuring people feel safe, you know, addressing when people don't feel safe, what do you do with those employees? And I don't, I don't know if to, you know, we'll see this radical change in the, the amount of space we take. I don't, I don't see that happening, um, you know, and that's, that's my own opinion. That's not, that's not speaking for Deutsche Bank. Um, but I just, you know, I think we're going to have a period where it's a little uncomfortable and half the team is home and half the team is in and it's, you know, it's, it's not the same kind of energy and you'll start to see teams work more in, in like a herd mentality and everybody will come in on the same day and then on the same day, everybody will work from home. And so you're not going to see these tremendous reductions of space. I think you'll just see more space reallocated and used in, in very different ways. Okay, thank you, Alison. Um, Philippe, uh, from a, um, a landlord perspective and, and Ray touched base around uh, you know, uh, amenities and uh, you mentioned around uh, uh, celebrating coming together. Um, what have been the change in approach in terms of what you're building uh, based on what you have learned in the past 12 months? Sure. Um, I mean, look, we've, amidst a lot of tragedy and challenging times, of course, have been in the midst of this like, crazy, amazing experiment um, of remote work. And the fascinating thing from an intellectual standpoint, I think, is having all the kind of thought leaders on this call um, and leaders like Allison and Ray thinking about, you know, almost in like warp speed, like everything that is important for their company, right? So that's, that's been amazing to watch and think about. And literally every day, you know, here we're brainstorming, like how do we engage people? How do we get them excited um, to come back and be at work? But I, I will pause and say to, to be a little like devil's advocate, but also like, I think it's, all of this is so overrated, what we're talking about. COVID's a medical issue, right? 
it has a medical solution. It's called a vaccine. Everyone's going to be vaccinated, right? So the idea that there's this complete fundamental shift, right, in what makes our economy and productivity work for me is vastly overrated. And we've given it a lot of talk time, which is important to think of. But I think you don't get places like New York City and Silicon Valley, some of the greatest concentrations of talent in the world with the GDP of like countries, right? Because everyone wants to work from their living room. And I, I think, I, I think so. I, I, I think we're going to see this as an overrated trend that we spent a lot of time on. But ultimately, as a practical matter, people are going to come back to the office. They're going to be together. Right. They're going to they're going to learn from each other. They're going to mentor each other. Um, they're going to grow as teams. And that ultimately is what has made the most successful companies in the world successful. Um, and to some degree, let's face it, it's not about just the comfort of employees to be able to work in their sweats and like sleep a little late and avoid a commute and like work from their living room. I think we hear from a lot of companies off the record that it is productivity is down, creativity is down. Like, and, and we all know with everyone on this phone that there's a big difference in what productivity is because you can be productive and talk from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night and on Zoom and not feel that you've connected with people and you've actually pushed ideas forward in, in an existing way. Um, so um, that's all very self-serving as a landlord, of course, but, um, but, what, I but I, what I will say is um, there's clearly a trend in, in, in being able to, um, to do uh, what we're doing right now. Um, which is powerful. Um, we do see there being some hybrid, of course, um, with with large employers and, and and small having people work from home. I don't personally see it that much different than when people looked at outsourcing to India, people looked at putting folks in Tampa or Jacksonville or other things outside of New York. And ultimately, um, people who are paying a lot of money to have the best talent in the world in places like Silicon Valley um, or, uh, or New York City or Austin, right? Doesn't just have to be on the coast. Um, want those folks together and having those collisions um, and having, having that collaboration. And it's hard for me to figure out like how it works to collaborate with teams if everyone's in and out of the office all day. Um, and I, you know, we really feel that being in the office, how it's that kind of presence. So our focus kind of going forward really has been um, similar to what we, we, we've been doing before, which is creating really dynamic, you know, state-of-the-art projects with lots and lots of amenities that people are excited to come to work. You know, I'm looking at the GW Bridge and the Hudson River. Like, I come into work. Like, it is an unbelievable environment, floor-to-ceiling windows. My team's here. All the technology in the world. The, I could take a walk on the plaza. I'm just saying these things, not actually to promote, like, Hudson Yards, but that feeling of what I get going to work as opposed to just working at home from Brooklyn. And I think, you know, Allison, we're thrilled to partner with Deutsche Bank. And boy, when you go to Columbus Circle and you see what their new offices are going to be like, looking over Central Park, being able to like have a drink on a terrace over Central Park. Um, I, I think that that's, a, that's what inspires us all to be in New York and, and is the kind of big picture reasons why um, you get excited about being in a company. And for us, it's focusing on those kinds of spaces and those kind of projects. 
and, and also figuring out and using this as an opportunity about what are some unique amenities that are really meaningful to engage people. So you actually bring some of that energy actually, you know, it further into the buildings and, um, and, it's, and it's not just about, you know, the workspace, um, which I think is a powerful trend and one that's really positive. Well, I'm, I'm really hoping that Alison invites me for that drink. Uh, I'm going to hold you up to it, Alison. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Alison. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> she puts on the spot. Uh, but this is a great segue uh, to, to our third question. And uh, you, t you, talk, you talked about New York being, you know, the, the center of talent and, you know, how um, landlords are, and developers are partnering with uh, end users. Uh, so uh, it goes without saying that the city has heavily has been heavily impacted by the COVID-19 crisis, right? And uh, it's believed that occupancy of the buildings will still likely remain low for, for the months to come until we are able to see obviously a higher percent of the population being vaccinated. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Philip. Uh, how do you think landlords and occupiers can partner in promoting an ecosystem across the city to bring New York back to life? Um, look, that's a great, great question. And it's one that's evolving so rapidly. Um, and, and, and one that we, you know, we don't have all the answers for yet. And um, I, I, I think there's a couple different aspects. I think there's a there's a health aspect, right, which is people are naturally, the vaccinations are going to go up a lot. That's probably going to have the most overwhelmingly significant thing to get people comfortable and back. And I certainly hope and will look to, to partner with um, our tenants and companies um, to, to really try to inspire people to come back. I think it's important to get New York City going again, our economy going again. There's a lot of service workers who've been really, really hurt during this. And you know, when you sit at home, like if, if um, you know, you're a white collar worker, you don't necessarily see this all the time, right? But there's that person at Delhi, there's the dry cleaner, there's so many services that are provided um, to, you know, lunch places, you name it, uh, um, that uh, there's, there's, there's people of all different levels, but I think particularly kind of lower income people who are really, really hurt by this. Forgetting about just hospitality and, and just entertainment, you know, and, and, and tourism in general. So I think it's really important that, that we come together as a partnership, landlords, tenants, you know, companies, politicians, hopefully to get this city back and other cities back um, as well. Um, and, uh, and the vaccine will be a big, um, no pun intended, or maybe a shot in the arm to do that. Um, but, then, uh, but then like on the super positive side, again, like health and wellness, I think is something that people are all talking about that's really, um, which is great, right? Um, and figuring out what are what are the important things for employees that they can't get at home and that they'll be excited to get at the office, right? We know there's been mental health, a lot of mental health issues, right, with people being at home. Um, it's been very, very challenging, too much screen time, right? Um, all these things, a lot of burnout. And um, I think it's going to be important, again, to, to work together to inspire people to come back. Um, and we have a whole kind of set of events um, that are geared up kind of, you know, during COVID with COVID precautions and then as they kind of hopefully loosen up in the fall, um, you know, more getting together events to, 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 to inspire people to be back, but also to celebrate, um, to also celebrate being together. And that's, listen, that's going to, it's, um, it, it, it's going to be a rollout, right? That, that um, you know, we're going to, we're going to see happen and probably slower than we all hope, but um, think it's it's kind of inevitable that uh, that we'll have a shift and get back. 
Thank you, Steve. I must say that uh, uh, since I stopped working from home, it's been like about a year. I think I had to change my glass, glasses pres prescription <laughs> twice. It's too much screen time, right? Uh, Ray, uh, from, from the perspective of uh, uh, end user, how do you feel uh, of this partnership with uh, the landlords to bring the city back to life? What, what are your views on that? So I think those partnerships are going to be key. I agree with everything Philippe said, not only between tenants and landlords, but between private organizations and, and our municipalities and politicians and everybody. This is going to take an extraordinary level of partnership. I think the the, the damage that has been done to small business, to the F&B industry, the tourism industry, the service industries is catastrophic. I don't think we've actually seen the full impact of that yet, right? Some have benefited, fortunately, from some of the government programs, paycheck protection and all that. We don't know yet how many of these businesses are going to come back. We're hopeful that many of them do, but many of them can't. You know, we all can control what happens inside our space, inside our building, inside our campus, what, whatever it is. What's hard is what happens outside of that. I, I think many people would have come back to work sooner if they weren't uncomfortable with either mass transit or the experience somewhere between leaving their house and coming into their office. That's been the challenging part of this for many people, understandably. The, the bottom line is we need people to come back to work. Vaccines, as Philippe said, is core to that. Um, I think you're going to see extraordinary partnerships between companies and landlords and developers and the city and the state to help promote things. I also think, that, first of all, the fundamentals of New York in my mind are absolutely still strong. I don't doubt for a minute there has been all these stories and articles of New York dead will it ever come back. They're going to convert all the office space to condominiums. I don't, and this is me speaking. This is not me on behalf of JP Morgan, but I don't believe any of it. I, I think we'll come back. We'll come back strong. I think there's an extraordinary pent up demand. People want to come back to work. The people that want to stay home in their sweats right now, no offense to anybody, are probably the same people that didn't want to come back to work or come to work before COVID. So that hasn't changed. There's still people who'd rather be home and that's okay. There's a place for them in the world, but those are not the people we're counting on to come back to work. I don't know the number of how many people JP Morgan has hired during the pandemic in the last year. I know it's thousands. Those people have never been to a JP Morgan office. A lot of them are young out of school and we hear from them every day, how much they miss this experience. And if I look around on this call, you know, I, I know so many of you and I don't want to say that all of you are type A, but many of you are. I know that there aren't many of us on this call who want to be the one person not in the office for a telephone call with their boss, right? There, there's a natural pressure that's going to start to build for people to come back. Remote working is here to stay in some capacity, but I think there's going to be a momentum to this, Kelsey. I think people are going to come back. They're going to start to spend money, and that's going to start this upwelling of businesses coming back and you know, starting that ecosystem all over again from the bottom up. Alisa, would love to hear from you as well. Uh, yeah, 100% agree with everything said. I think you know, pre-COVID, we started to lean more on our landlords related as a perfect example for our headquarters more than we have in the past. So we've been working on how do we create this broader benefits package for staff by leveraging you know, the related owned companies or related partnerships. Like how do we use our landlords as an extension of now our network to give more to our employees? And that is something new. And I, I don't think that's tied to COVID. I think that's just a change in how the world is you know, working and the expectations of employees to provide more of an experience. 
Um, I think for firms, you know, with that are not the Googles and the JP Morgans, they need those relationships in order now to build the experiences to bring those staff back. So I think it's going to be very integral to the return to work. Um, but that said, I think there's an interesting change now that we're in COVID of how the conversation is where we're looking to our landlords for more problem solving. Perfect example, as Ray said, we asked a sample of our staff about return to work. Commute was the number one thing we heard that 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 is why they're nervous to come back. Once they get into the building, they feel fine. So, you know, we called uh, related, I speaking to Steven and said, you know, what, what do I do? Help me out. And he was like, all right, let's, let's start talking to parking garages. Let's figure out what we can do to get to a deal so that, you know, to alleviate those concerns and work more on the same side to get staff back into the office. Similarly, you know, city bike, what can we do as far as city bike for, for employees we have inside, um, you know, in Manhattan, although, Philippe, if you know, if we could get some Deutsche Bank, Deutsche bikes, that would be appreciated. I think that so, would go. So, sounds good. Uh. That would be better received. No pressure. Um, but I, you know, all of that said, I think given the crisis that we're coming out of, it needs to be a collective effort. What's different about COVID and every other you know tragedy or event is it can't be fixed by corporate money or you know by a company's leadership or leaving the new york area because you're going to have the same issue anywhere you go so you know putting vaccinations aside because as philippe said uh, obviously that is the be all end all but what are we doing as far as physical distancing and cleaning and sanitizing and optimizing hvac systems the things that make people feel safe and the ironic part of all this is like that's the responsibility of the people on this call like that is that is not you know the leadership team has less control over that so we're starting to get this very blurry role and accordingly our relationships with our landlord it, landlords are getting increasingly blurry because we're expected to be CDC experts and an extension of HR and managing the psychology of how people approach work and the actual like nuts and bolts of what we do like the, the, what our jobs job descriptions actually say has nothing to do with what we're actually doing now to get through COVID. It's all of the pieces around that and like how we can come together and reassure staff that like we, like we are ready, come back, this, this is safe. We wanna, you know, we wanna be together, we're stronger together, all of that. that that's the challenge of the next 12 to 24 months. Thanks, Alison. And uh, time just flies by when we're having fun, right? So, but uh, I, I ask everybody on the call to make sure that they shoot some difficult questions your way. So uh, I'm gonna be selecting a few for the panel to, to go through. I am gonna start with uh, Katie Conkar. Can you please come on, uh, put your camera on and ask your question to Alison? Yes, oh gosh, sorry. I didn't realize that this was gonna be an in-person question asking. So, Allison, um, you know, we're getting a lot of questions around high dollar amenities and what the strategy of those look like going forward, especially now that um, employees who are going to have more flexible working arrangements are likely going to be using their um, neighborhood amenities more frequently than they would have had to in the past. Have you guys talked about this? Obviously, you know, with One Columbus Circle, you're pretty much completing that project. I would imagine that strategy wouldn't change, but how are you guys thinking about this from a portfolio standpoint? Um, 
and what's going to be provided in the future? What is that utilization going to look like? Yes. So we, um, we are incredibly fortunate in the fact that our greatest amenity is free for us. It's, it's having central park. Um, we have a terrace that overlooks central park. So, you know, that alone is a tremendous staff amenity. People can access it, you know, at lunch or before or after work, as far as a health and wellness perspective, we chose to lean away from things like a fitness center. You know, again, we have Equinox in the building. So for us, it made sense. Um, however, that said, we are prioritizing amenities that are about bringing staff together. So we're not, we're not putting forward the amenities are like, let us help you with your dry cleaning and, you know, a lot of like the Google type amenities, but more you're in the office, you're here to be with your team. So let's, let's build a, a social lounge. Let's build a gaming area. Let's have terraces with pergolas so you can have your team meeting outside. And, you know, what can we do to support why you're actually coming to the office? Does that answer your question, Katie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really helpful. Thank you. And uh, I am going to ask uh, Renee Bradshaw to uh, come in on camera and ask a question to the panelists. Renee, you see on the line? If not, I'm going to jump to the next one. Craig Levine, uh, question for the panelists. Hey, how you doing? Thank you very much for your time. Uh, my question is a uh, general one for mainly the residents. Are you going to be enforcing uh, tenants and clients to uh, get vaccinated? <laughs> so mm. I, I think Go it's, ahead. you first, <laughs> it's too early, you know, Deutsche Bank doesn't have an official statement on it. I think it's too early to say, I, I can't imagine again, personally speaking from an HR perspective that you can force, you know, force vaccinations. But that said, again, from a, from an official corporate view, it's too, it's too soon. I, I agree with everything Allison said. <laughs> How about them Mets? <laughs> I think that was perfect. I think we probably feel exactly the same way about it. Too early to tell. Sure. Thank you. I would love to hear uh, the, the response from Philippe on these uh, same questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it is too early to tell. It's going to evolve. I mean, we all know that you have this combination of companies, public, you know, public policy, government. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, our response to COVID, one of the bad things in the last year, forget about Republican or Democrat, it's just become so politicized um, that it's a lot of this is stuck in that mode. But um, I think I think this will be sort of a high class problem to start figuring out once you, know, you get lots and lots of people vaccinated, hopefully, you know, by early, early summer. Um, and there are models right across the world that I think we'll all look at and see how those experiments are going, right, in terms of what Israel is doing, what's happening in Asia, and, um, and look back and, and, and apply that to cities like New York City and, and uh, you know, our corporate space around the country. And, and you have to remember, yeah. and I, I can only speak to our, our teams, but we, we've been back to work in Asia for months. In, in a big, big way. And there's been moments where they've asked us to step away and, and then we've come back. But, you know, I, I've spent the last six years at JP Morgan traveling back and forth to Asia. They've worn masks 
for as long as I've been traveling there. This is, I don't want to say it's routine for them, but it's much more normal than it was for us. So this does normalize after a while. And I think, Philippe, you put it really well. COVID is a healthcare issue, right? And, and we're going to follow what people say. It's not a real estate issue. We'll react to some things, but this is not a real estate issue. Thanks, Ray and Philip. Uh, Bill Callahan, question for the panel. You want to turn your camera on, please? Hi, I, I can't get my camera to turn on, but... Uh... No worries. Device is fine. Yeah, that's the power of remote work right there. In, in progress. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm from Boston. I'm a Red Sox fan. But um, I was wondering what what people are doing in terms of digital platforms. Has anyone done like a, a big new platform for reservations and social distancing to show like what seats are available uh, that are socially distanced and allow employees to reserve those? So as I said, we, we are rolling out a reservation system uh, really in, our, you know, in whatever spaces that we ultimately implement unassigned or open seating or choice seating. Um, it, it will not get down to the detail of showing social distancing. We think those are two different things. I think social distancing itself will go away. We may or may not decide to come up with a slightly different workplace standard that lets people spread out a little bit, but the, you know, the mandated social distancing is gonna be gone at some point. So no is the answer for us, but there will be a basic reservation system that has a lot of functionality around how people can reserve a locker, reserve a space, uh, reserve team spaces, things like that. I hope so, Ray, because I want to hug people. Uh, Alison, Deutsche Bank, you same, guys, uh, can you answer the question? Same for DB. We have our, you know, Band-Aid solution for now. Um, it's definitely not the ideal solution, but we're also assuming that soon social distancing won't be part of the long-term solution. So we're investing in an app as far as how do you set up reservations and how do you use that app for other things in the building, whether it be ordering in the cafeteria or, you know, room reservations, wayfinding, that sort of thing. Um, so we're still developing that. We, we hope to have that finalized in the next few months, but hopefully in the next few months, social distancing is not part of one of those requirements. I would just jump in and say, um, I mean, this is, I think, mostly an occupier question, but from a kind of real estate owner developer question, We've used this time, we actually open Hudson Yards and, and we decided not to open it with a commercial app um, for various reasons um, and, uh, and have used actually a lot of this time to come, come together and put together a commercial app that focuses on certain wellness um, attributes, certain, um, that you could say it's COVID reaction, but you know, touch this elevatoring, seamless entrance into buildings, things like that, that we're always kind of convenience and I think you know people are looking um, for even more now but also to connect people um, to amenities around them and exclusives and kind of what Allison was talking about about you know tempting people to come back to work and giving them access to amenities the idea would be like all those amenities around you in your workplace whether it be Columbus Circle, Hudson Yards or other projects um, you can use your app and there's certainly lots of other forms of communication but to see like what what kind of deals there are, how can I buy a ticket at the observation deck at the edge um, for a discount or for our employee? How do I reserve you know, um, you know, a, a cer certain room? How do I get a seat at the Soul Cycle on the plaza? Things like that, which are just kind of fun and, and a great tool 
um, to again get people excited to, to to come back to work and make people who are back in the office and in a particular building feel like okay I actually I have some pride in my place and I, I actually I'm really psyched to work here because you know not only my company that I work for in the space but um, I'm proud to work at like Columbus Circle or Hudson Yards and having worked at both now I know you know I certainly feel that way being involved in the development but. Um, that people get a, a pride of place. And I think that's gonna be really important to get to get people back to, um, you know, being excited to come back to their kind of larger work area and, and, and getting inspired by New York. Thanks, Philippe. I am gonna uh, call in Laura Patel. Uh, she has a question around uh, moving to full agile. Laura, if you wanna come on camera. Doesn't seem like Laura is with us any longer, but I'm gonna ask her question anyway, because I think it's an interesting one. So uh, moving fully to Agile, what does the day in the life of an employee at one of your firms or office buildings now look like? They'll book a desk the night before, arrive at the office, touch down their book, um, like in and out of meetings, what? So in other words, what is it gonna, what the day uh, of a person is gonna look like when they come back? Alison? Sure. Um, so we are, we're still working out, you know, some of the mechanics because we won't know exactly where we stand, but how we see it is everything as touchless as possible, just in general, not COVID, but overall hygiene, you come into the building, whether the desk can be reserved or you're just in a reserved neighborhood. I think that's one piece that we're still trying to um, understand better. I think generally there are a lot of pros and cons of reservation systems. Psychologically, it makes you feel like if you don't reserve the desk, you won't have a desk, um, which we don't want to give people that feeling. But at the same time, of course, you know, people like to plan. So we're still working out those mechanics. Um, but come in. You sit with your team, it's very collaborative. You have the right breakout space there. You have the right technology there. If an office isn't being used, you can jump in. Um, you know, everything is, is more focused on what, what brings you to the office. As far as our dining services, you know, the bank generally is trying to move in a way of a little bit um, more, more of a forward-looking modern institution. So it's, it's a little looser than your typical financial firm, I think, um, which Kelsey, you'll see when you come for a drink. And uh, I, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a radically different way of working. It's just going to be different way you use the space. So very, you know, very collaborative, very open. Right. Um, you know, when, when we opened our space on the far west side of five Manhattan West a couple of years back, I toured many, many people through that space, many people on this call. And everyone said, I can't believe this is JP Morgan space. The bottom line is all of our spaces are moving to adapt and accommodate an agile workforce. We don't know what a day in the life of an agile worker looks like with a lot of certainty. Depends on what your job is, right? We have tens of thousands of programmers and people around the software and technology business, like the people on the west side, we're building a building just for technologists in Glasgow. But that building could just as easily house lots of other businesses. But we have to think about it for our front office teams. We have to think about it for our operations folks. Our workplace standards have gone from being very distinct for front office, back office, to really kind of meeting in the middle so that all of our spaces are flexible and agile. And they have slightly different level of finishes, slightly different level of technology integration but they can all accommodate that. 
So whatever that day in the life looks like, we think it's going to be largely anchored in the office. We think a large number of people will be unassigned, but not everybody. Um, we think a large number of people will integrate remote working, but not everybody. And the space will be built to accommodate whatever those variables are. I think we only have time for one more question. Um, Vito, you have a question for the panelists. Do you want to come on camera and uh, ask it? Sure. Um, okay, so uh, pre-COVID, there was a stigma about working from home, working remote, and uh, certainly COVID has put that to bed. Uh, thinking about post-COVID, um, I know certainly at UBS when I was there, um, maximum occupancy in an office never reached more than 70% on a peak day. And so not only was space sitting empty, uh, but now given the fact that people are going to want to have flexibility, et cetera, uh, as you plan new space going forward, are you going to be thinking about a much more drastic factor, let's say, of uh, planning for headcount versus what you were doing before? Understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So look, for, for us, the short answer is no. Um, and, and there were some headlines this week about different spaces we might give up and sublease. None of that was the result of COVID, right? As a, as a routine part of our portfolio planning, what I would call good real estate hygiene, we, we look at our portfolio all the time. And Vito, you raised a really good point, right? Under the best of circumstances pre-COVID, most of us probably had utilization rates that you know, we're kind of mid 60%, right? Bumping exactly. up against 70%. If you were higher than that, you were doing something really special. So just by being more efficient around that, you can already find opportunities for efficiency across the portfolio. That's what we've been doing on a routine basis. So we, we do not have any plan to make drastic changes. We're operating going forward under about the same density we were before COVID. And like I said earlier in the call, our our layouts are roughly the same, just going to provide for more flexibility and reconfigurations. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I would just add the finance world is a little bit different. Um, and Vito, of course, in your UBA, UBS days, you've seen this. So many roles just can't function from home, um, you know, whether it's That's the, the regulatory requirements. No, completely agree. But, I'm, but there's still the, the regulator piece that we have to deal with. So I don't think there's a universal um, policy we can roll out across our staff, yeah. but I agree. I think there are some business units that, you know, the work from home might even work better because they get, you know, the proper heads down um, time to be more focused and the productivity goes up. You know, I, I think it's so dependent on the role, um, but for us, because, uh, uh, our headquarters is, represents so many different business lines. I don't think you're going to see a dramatic change of space. I think, you know, maybe if you had a tech, you know, a, an ops only hub or a tech only hub, which we, we don't have in our portfolio. Um, that's where I think you'll, you'll, you'll get the most uh, impact. Interesting. And just to, just to jump in uh, from kind of the developer perspective, which is, I think it's a really good question and one we think a lot about in terms of um, you know, designing buildings because there's such an impact right on what the populations that are coming through and I think for us is you know, for developers perspective we're looking at buildings becoming that much more efficient um, because of you know unassigned seating and looking at the, uh, those occupancies being pretty high 
and companies may be taking less space for that, which believe it or not, we see that as a positive thing because when you're building new super efficient space um, from our perspective, and this is what we found um, you know, at places like Hudson Yards, companies shrinking into new space where they get a lot of the bells and whistles and can actually have um, infrastructure, whether it be HVAC or elevators or lobby sizes that support you know, high, higher, density, higher densities and better efficiency, right? Um, uh, work better for them and frankly, allow them to pay some more rent <laughs> um, to, okay. to, be in, to, be, to be in the space because they're getting a lot of productivity out of it. Um, a, just I want to point out, there's an interesting article in the New Yorker, the February 1st uh, issue about office space. And they interviewed two uh, CEOs, uh, I believe both in the West Coast. Um, it's an interesting read because you have two opposite points of view from CEOs about their own physical plant. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We are on the hour. We could be speaking here for much longer, I feel. Uh, but thank you so much, Ray, Alison, and Philip, for sharing all the insights with us. I, I very much appreciate it. And thanks for everybody that by all means. I'm going to pass on to Steve for any uh, final closing. I think you've done it, Kelsey. I think you've thanked the panelists and thank you yourself. Um, and thank you, everyone, for joining. All right. Thanks. Thanks thank for having you. us. Bye, everybody. Thanks, thanks, Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.